Tonight we'll take our text from the 23rd Psalm. We'll look at Psalm 23 and read the last verse of that Psalm, verse 6. Psalm 23, 6, he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Of course, written by David as a shepherd boy, the 23rd Psalm, it could read as a poem, a song, or even a prayer. So familiar to all of us, I'm sure, tonight. We know that David, he, he begins by declaring simply that the Lord is my shepherd. Several hundred years later, it was the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 11, where he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And later in that same chapter, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd again. I know my sheep, very personal and am known of mine. Now we often hear that, that sheep are really hopeless and helpless without the shepherd. They're prone to wander off. They're prone to get lost. They're prone to go hungry without even guidance to their food. The prophet Isaiah, by way of the Holy Spirit, wrote, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And we, so, we know that, that sheep, they, they cannot survive on their own without the shepherd. Even these characteristics already mentioned, they're very human-like. They do have a tendency to run away when they're afraid, and, and when they run by way of fear, sometimes they run into something worse. They're known for their strong flocking or herding instinct. Sheep, they like to stick together in large groups. They feel comfortable, I guess, strength in numbers. They have that instinct. But it's documented that that sheep, when they're alone, they, they appear stressed or agitated. They don't like to be alone. When one sheep moves, the rest will follow, even if it's clearly a bad idea. I read where one sheep had tried to cross this deep ravine or gorge. It was not a good choice. Every one of them followed. All 400 fell to their death. Sheep, I understand, they're very social animals. They like to see each other, they like to hear each other, they like to eat together. They like to graze, if I understand, in groups of at least five. I remember in, I think it was 2001, when we were in Romania, there was, it was probably seven or eight sheep and they were grazing. And if you walked close to them, that, that group would simply move away from you and nervously graze as that group all together in unison moved away from you. They communicate with each other with sounds called bleeding. A mother sheep recognizes the sound of her lamb. 
Apparently they can recognize faces. They believe up to 50 sheep faces they can recognize. They can even recognize a human face. They have the ability to possess a wide range of emotions. They're, they can be sad. They can be happy. They can be bored even or afraid. They like to form friendships. They like to play follow the leader. But we know there's a clear distinction between the shepherd and the sheep. In verses 1 through 3 of this psalm, David writes that it's the shepherd that provides for every single need for those sheep. Food, water, rest, safety, even direction on what to get up and do day in and day out. In verse 2, he says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The original for lie down means more than just laying your head down for a quick nap, I, the, the original means that we would fall down and we would sprawl out and we would enjoy and bask in the green pastures from the shepherd. And we know, of course, in verse 4 of this psalm, where it's often used as the ultimate in terms of divine comfort from God's word. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And that speaks for through a, a, a valley where there is loss in our lives. But it also speaks of just simply difficult times in our lives. He says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They have, what he's referring to is a rod that we might say could be used for our correction, a rod of correction. And then we hear we have a staff that could be used for protection from the enemies of the sheep. And then in verse 5, really, it's as a song. He says, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And I was listening where a rabbi was explaining this, that it means that Every spiritual thirst is quenched by the shepherd. That need in our hearts to be fed of the Lord is fulfilled by God himself. And finally, in our text, verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I wonder, how can that be? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The sheep that are at completely, we could say, an opposite spectrum relative to the shepherd. In terms of what we would understand, our intelligence, our ability, in terms of our strength, our power, our capability, our knowledge, our aptitude, our capacity. In terms, really, of everything opposite to the good shepherd, he says somehow that we have a promise that we will dwell in his house forever. The sheep will dwell in the Lord's house forever. How can it be that humanity would have this promise? The Apostle Paul put it this way, speaking about you and me in Romans 8, verse 17. He says, and if children, speaking of the children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. How long will that last? Forever. It's an everlasting promise, an everlasting covenant. This is not a long time. This is forever and ever 
and ever. In fact, Paul, in writing to Timothy, takes it a step further, saying in 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, we, speaking of you and me, the sheep, shall also reign with him. That is the shepherd. That is the Lord. That is the Lord's house. John the Revelator amplifies this concept further in in chapter 22 of the Revelation, verse 5. He says, and there shall be no night there. Where? The Lord's house. Jesus referred to this place as my father's house. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. That might sound like a very long time, but we're talking about eternity tonight. We're talking about a time where time will cease to exist. We're not talking about thousands of years or millions of years or billions of of years. We're talking about the end of time. We know that time was part of God's original creation. It began at creation week. It's part of God's laws of physics. It has to do with mass and acceleration and gravity. But there is coming a day and a time for all creation that it will end. It will be over. The Bible teaches us very clearly about an eternal heaven and an eternal hell. Eternal heaven is what David is referring to here, a place called the house of the Lord, a promise to his children, a promise to the sheep that we will dwell there. Eternal hell is a place created for the devil. We know that eternity becomes a reality to thousands of people around the globe daily. I read that approximately, well, nearly 171,000 human beings step into eternity every day. That's 7,115 per hour, or 110 individuals every minute, or two people per second. In an instant, eternity is a reality to them. If we look at the term forever in our Bibles, that exact phrase is found in 380 verses. It's found 390 specific times. And there's other words such as eternal or eternity. I'm looking just here at forever. And we can say that really, it's really a a favorite phrase throughout the book of Psalms. Psalm 9, 7, it says, But the Lord shall endure endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. You see, a lot of times eternity, or that which is forever, is tied to a time and a place of judgment. Psalm 10, 16, it says, The Lord is king forever and ever. In Psalm 22, 26, The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. Psalm 28, 9, he says, save the people and bless thine inheritance. Feed them also and lift them up forever. You see, we see words of hope, words of strength, words of joy, eternal words that will last for the people of God forever. Psalms 37, 18, the Lord knoweth the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. Psalm 37, 29, the righteous shall inherit. Here it is talking about our inheritance, the land and dwell therein forever. Where? Our father's house. 
Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. He says in Psalm 52, I will praise thee forever. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. In Psalm 61, he shall abide before God forever. A promise, a hope, the glory of the Lord shall endure forever. Listen to this one, Psalm 105. He hath remembered his covenant forever. Why do we emphasize salvation in each service? Why do we plead with the sinner and say, come to Jesus? Because it's a matter of eternity. I don't believe it's, it's possible to, in our human capacity, adequately explain eternity. And the reason I say this is because if we take a step back and try and think of eternity, we're not capable of comprehending it. We think in terms of beginning and end, start and finish. Maybe the closest we can get there is thinking of endless time, millions or billions of years, and that might get us close. But we're giving enough in God's word. We're giving enough by the Lord himself, by the Holy Spirit to understand, to have a realization, to comprehend, to grasp that we have a choice. We have a decision and there are only two places at hand forever. And somehow, if we could get across the seriousness of eternity, the urgency of eternity, the importance of forever... I believe the preacher would say or do whatever they could if we could get the message across that we have a choice and eternity is at hand. Why would James write in the fourth chapter, verse 14, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Because the amount of time that our lives exist relative to the atmosphere, or we could say the universe, is but a vapor. It vanishes into oblivion. In Hebrews 9, 27, he says, And it is appointed unto men once to die. And here it is again. And after this, the judgment. This point of judgment is when eternity begins for every individual. Why do we get so caught up in the things relative to this world? Why is it that we get so caught up in the things relative to time? Things that are temporal. Things that won't last. Things that have no eternal significance. Where will you spend eternity? Where will I spend eternity? Where will you spend forever? Are you prepared for eternity tonight? There are only two places. The house of the Lord. And the alternative could not be more opposite. I read a couple near-death experiences that I think paints a picture for us. Philip Noli, he attends church at the Church of the Cross, led by Pastor Tag. He pulled into Fiesta Grocery Store parking lot to sleep during a long trip. He awoke to a truck pulled alongside him and filled with six men and women attempting to hijack his car. When he turned toward them, he was shot with a twenty-two. The bullet smashing through his shoulder and jaw, which were shattered from the impact. He was life-flighted to a nearby hospital, and his parents were notified that his condition was critical and that they should prepare for the worst. While his parents made funeral arrangements, the doctor 
tried valiantly to save him. Looking back, Noli described what happened next. My spirit left my body and went to heaven. I have no doubts about that. I could look down and see the doctor working on my lifeless body. The next thing I knew, I was outside the Golden Gates. Everything was clean with fresh trees and green grass, no trash, no sign of people. I could smell how fresh it was. I could smell the flowers. I wanted to stay and had no desire to come back. Then I recognized the presence of Jesus. I could see his robe, but not his face because there was so much light. I could hear his voice. He sat at my side and told me three times that it wasn't my time to be there. I could feel his warmth, the love, peace, and kindness. Then I felt my spirit returning to my body, and I knew I was back. And there's more to his testimony. He already was, uh, had his hand in the Lord's hand and walked with the Lord, and he only grew deeper with the Lord, no doubt. Then the alternative. Ronald from Knoxville, Tennessee, he lived life on the edge, following, followed by a death that showed him the depths of hell. He was a repeat criminal who became even more violent as a result of drug and alcohol abuse. In his own words, he was not a good person. He led, led to a fight outside a liquor store when he was 25 years old. He said, of his encounter with the man, I hit him and knocked him down. He broke a bottle and started stabbing me. In just moments, I was bleeding to death. Once in the ambulance, he said he could feel his body floating above the gurney, but not pleasantly. It was like I was passing through the open mouth of an active volcano or a burning lake. He explained, then he began recognizing familiar faces around him, all dead and all screaming at him, crying and wailing, Ronnie, don't come here, there's no escape. He then felt his body jerk as if he'd been electrocuted and he was pulled back into the land of the living. He reports that he repented after his recovery, dedicated his life to help save others by sharing his testimony. Today, he's pastor of Metal Church of God in Blunt County, Tennessee. He tells everyone that his near-death experience was a gift from God. Eternity is coming for all of us. And the question is, what will we do with it? You see, we have no excuse. But we have a Savior. And there is a cross, and there is a Savior that stands, and He opens up His arms of forgiveness to you and to me. If you're not saved, maybe you're in a backslidden condition, maybe you're a hypocrite, or maybe this is the first time you've heard this message. Jesus came to give you life and liberty. There's hope. There's a place in heaven where we can abide with him forever. And the message tonight is that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you could make your peace with your creator. You can know that you know that you know that you've passed from death unto life. We all have a choice and the difference could not be more stark on where we might spend eternity. And we believe that Jesus is calling. We believe there might be somebody here that has wandered, has wondered, maybe in a state of, can I take that step? I believe Jesus will help you and he'll take you by the hand. I believe the Lord will walk you down to these altars of prayer. 
And in, in a moment, if you, if you turn from your sins and you cry out to the Lord and, and the old enemy would bring up our past, we did this, we said this, leave it all at the cross. Pour it all out to Jesus. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus offers restoration. He offers peace. He will make it so that you can pillow your head at night and you know that you're right with God. Nothing else matters. Be right with Jesus tonight. Be right with the Lord tonight. The Lord will make you ready. Eternity is coming. What a hope we have. We can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The song is 479. Let's come out and pray.